Good morning. Good morning. It is good to see a lot of students back. I've missed you. I've missed you. Our college staff has missed you. Pastor Danny has missed you. We have all missed you. We have all missed your voices and missed seeing you here. Um, it's good to have you back. Uh, any, any Pats fans back in the house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Jersey. Nice, nice. Any Hawk fans in the house? Ow! Not very much. Not very many. Anyway, I'm a Seahawks fan. That's where my roots are. Uh, before Boston, I was in Seattle. But, um, woohoo! I see you in the back there. All right. Um, we have, uh, if you weren't here last week, um, you missed that we started a series in Genesis. Um, and so we're just, this is the second week of that. And so we're going to jump in right here, but um, there's so much to cover. And I just, I just need some prayer. So can we just take a moment and can you pray for me? Can you pray for you? Uh, for me to deliver, for you to receive, and pray for God to make the word come to life. So can we just take a moment and pray that? I just come before you, and I come empty-handed, God. I have no wisdom to share. I only have your word. And God, we have nothing else to live by, and nothing else to hear today, no wisdom of man, but the truth and the word of God. So God, would you come in, and as this word is shared, would you make this word come to life? Would you make it come alive in our minds, that it would illuminate new revelation in our thoughts? Would you make it come, come alive in our hearts, that it would inspire greater affection and passion for your namesake, God? So God, would you be here? Holy Spirit, would you speak into our lives today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're doing a series in Genesis. And why are we doing Genesis? Why are we doing Genesis? If you've been in church for a while, you, you think... I know the stories in Genesis. I know chapter 1, I know chapter 2, I know chapter 3. Um, but we're going to go back into it. Because in order to understand any, any story, you need to understand the beginning. Right? You, you can't understand fully and appreciate the story if you haven't seen number 1. You need to see number 1 to understand number 2. Right? For me, I, have, I haven't seen uh, Toy Story 3 yet. Um, I bought it a couple years ago. I bought the Blu-ray, but it's just sitting in my house because, and I keep thinking, oh, I really want to see that. I've heard it's good. I've heard it's good. Um, but I haven't seen Toy Story 2. And so I refuse to watch it until I see Toy Story 2. And I know that this is a big deal for some of you guys here because I know that people fight over this. <laughs> How could you ask me to watch the next one? I have not seen the first one. You're so inconsiderate. That's rude. Right? And we, we argue about this, and that's just how we are. Because we, in order to appreciate and to know the second one, we were, well, I need to know the beginning. How does the next one make sense if I don't know the beginning? Um, and, and, and for those of us who have heard these stories before, I want to challenge us to go back to it and listen to it again. Because you're older now, and your brain's a little bit better, and you can understand it a little more deeply. It's like the movie Up. Um, in the first, like, five, ten minutes of Up, there are people crying in the movie theaters, crying at home, because it's so powerful, such a, a, picture, a simple depiction of, of great depth. 
But the people crying weren't third graders. They're not second graders. They're people with some maturity to them. Right? The same story, but a different level of understanding. And so if you've heard the stories of Genesis, let's not settle for a third grader's understanding of it. There, there's so much depth to it. And there's so much more to gain from it. And so we go back to the story of Genesis because we want to understand where we are today. And we're not talking about a movie. We're not talking about just understanding some entertainment. This is your life. This is what you are in. You're not just watching this. We make a big deal about watching something for entertainment. Why don't we make a bigger fuss about our own lives? Why don't we say, I need to understand the beginning of my story. Humanity. So we're going to go back to Genesis. And if you weren't here last week, you should listen to last week's sermon. But I'm going to just run through it real quick. And two things I want to do. I want to give a brief synopsis of it so we can understand where we are in chapter 3. And also, just to unpack, there's so much in it. There's so much in it. And if we don't understand the things of Scripture, if we don't understand what God is showing to us at a level that's beyond of the third grader, we'll do exactly what Adam and Eve did, which is fall into, into deception. Okay? So, we... Um, this, yeah, there we go. Um, so in chapter 1, it's the creation account. Right? And the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, the, the heavens and the earth, and then he goes on to tell you what happened on earth. So there's another story to heaven. Um, there's a story to what happened to the creation of heaven. And we don't know the full story. The Bible is more concerned about telling us what we need to know about our earth story. And then it goes on. In chapter 1, um, he created the heavens and the earth. And in day 1, light, dark. Day 2, he separated... Um, the light, light, or no, that was day one. He separated the sky from the water, and then he created the land. He separated the waters, and goes so on, so on. What does he say after each day? He looks at it. God saw what he had made, and he saw that it was good. Right? Day three, he says it was good. Day four, he says it was good. Day five, he said it was good. Day six, he said it was very good. If you look at um, after he made man and woman. Genesis, um, we're going we're gonna to move on. We're going to move on to Genesis. We'll come back to chapter 3. Um, all right, Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, this is Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the ground, on the earth. Third graders understanding. Cool. I should grow up have a family, raise some kids, and I should take care of my pets. Adults understanding, what does this mean for marriage? What does it mean? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, I'm not trying to unpack a bunch of can of worms, but just to, let's, scripture goes deep. The first marriage, the first union was called to be fruitful and multiply. I'm not going to answer this question, but what does that mean for marriage today? What does it mean for the church to bless when a, a man marries another man? When, when the call was to be fruitful and multiply. But what, does that, what does that mean? You've got to think about that. God had a design in it. Like, what does the church bless? I'm not answering that question. I'm just taking us deeper. What does that mean? Let's have an adult's understanding of scripture. 
We go into chapter 2, and in the beginning, before, chapters, before verses 16, he, he talks about rest. That's another whole sermon. Why do we rest on the Sabbath? What does that mean? It's not just I take a break on Sunday, but why is God calling us to rest? And then we go into verse 16, um, and we say, The Lord God commanded man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So you could spend a whole message just on this, and we're going to touch on this. And I just want to touch on it in this sense. Some of us, this is our problem. We, God has given us so much freedom, and he's given us a few restrictions. And these restrictions are good. I'm like, why does he tell them to not eat of it? So you won't die. So you won't die. Like any good parent does, they have some rules for their children. Don't touch the fire. Don't play with the knives. Don't jump off the building. But you're free to have fun. Why do you have these rules? So you don't die. And God places a few rules in our lives to say, don't ruin your life. And he gives us so much freedom, though. So much joy. And we're stuck on the things that we can't do. Um, The movie title escapes me. Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone... Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy Stupid Love. There's a scene in it where a Steve Carell is, is a, um, he's hitting on a, on a girl. And then it goes really bad. And so she starts to walk away. He's like, wait, wait, wait. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I just, I just came up to you. I thought you were attractive. I, I thought you were, you, you're the perfect combination, sexy and cute. But I, I came up to you and I don't know what I'm doing. I, 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 I'm, I'm just scared. I'm so nervous. I'm sweating inside. My undershirt is drenched right now. I'm just all drenched in right now. I'm so just, I'm nervous. I'm scared and I don't know what I'm doing. And, 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 and you're just going to walk away. That's fine. And what did she say? You think I'm the perfect combination, sexy and cute? And what did he say? He said, that's what you heard? And that's, that's, you know, he says a bunch of like these crazy weird things and she hears the one good thing. You flip that around and what we do is the same thing. God is saying, I have a blessing for you. I have so much in store for you. You have, you can live today in freedom. You can live today in grace and peace and love and joy. And tomorrow you can have an eternity of perfect life. I have a few rules for you. And we say, so you want me to forgive my brother? Are you serious? That's what you're stuck on? We're stuck on the few things that are meant for our good. And that's what we're stuck on. For some of us, that's our problem. And watch this. Just take note of this. Verse 16. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's what God says. That's what God says. You don't want to change it. You don't want to add to it. You, won't, you don't want to manipulate it. That's what he says. Okay? Make a note of that. And so he gives us this command. Um, and so like we said in chapter 1, after every day, he says it was good. There is one time where we see that he said it's not good. And that's when he created just Adam. And he looked at Adam and said, it's not good yet. Why? It's not good for man to be alone. That's the first time we see it is not good for a man to be alone. And so what we see after that is this um, Adam, um, he brings all the animals to Adam, and Adam's naming all the animals. And while he's naming all the animals, uh, they're looking for a suitable helper for him. And God says, nope, nope, nope. Um, mouse, no, 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 no. 
Um, you know, dog, no, no, no. Wolf, no, no, no. Um, and praise God, you know, God knows what's good. And uh, praise God we don't wake up next to a giraffe or a, or a hippo, but we wake up next to a woman. For God knows what is good. Men, praise God. Praise God. Yeah. Married men, praise God. <laughs> Say it with some conviction for your women. Praise God. <laughs> All right, we need uh, everybody sign up for Love Talks and... Um, Everybody should be there, all right? But, you know, praise God. He knows what's good for us. He knows how to make it the best. And so he provides woman, a woman. Verse 18, he said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then verse 24 and 5, After he creates Eve, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife, both naked, they were not ashamed. There was perfect, perfect harmony, full vulnerability, just completely healthy relationship. All right. And then we get to chapter 3. Get to chapter 3. Now, um, we're going to make four moves as we look at chapter 3. Um, first, we're going to, and I'm just going to, lay out the four moves. So if you want a structure to follow in your head, we're going to look at the device, the deception, the death, and the redemption. Okay? There's a device that Satan uses, and he makes a deception. There's death that happens, and there's a redemption that God tells us of. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. We're going to pause there. Now, um, the serpent, what we see in Revelation 12, Revelation 20, that this serpent was Satan himself. Um, like I said, there's a story to heaven. And when we don't know the full story. There's, there's bits and pieces of it in Scripture that, that God helps us. He just tells us a little bit of the story. But the, the, the heavenly beings were angels. Um, there was rebellion in some of the angels led by Satan. Um, he was a lead angel in this. About a third of the angels rebelled with Satan, and they got kicked out of heaven. They were, now they're the fallen angels. Um, but nonetheless, they're uh, defined as an angel. And so what we see here, uh, the technical term would be an angelophany, if you like theological talk. Angelophany as opposed to a theophany. A theophany is when God reveals himself, and angelophany is when an angel reveals himself in some kind of form. And in this case, the, the angelophany happens as Satan a fallen angel reveals himself in the form of a serpent. He's kind of flattering himself. It's like if you were to reveal yourself as an animal, what would you choose? For me, I don't think I would choose like a sloth or something. I'd probably choose, I don't know, like a bear. I'm bear, you know? Uh, something that kind of flatters you. And so Satan is like, I like the serpent. He's crafty. Good. And so he chooses a serpent and he shows up. And here's the device. Did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Did, did he actually say? Did he actually say that? <laughs> God actually said that? So he does a couple of things here. One thing to notice, he comes he come he's crafty. That's why he chose to be a serpent. He comes in very subtle. Most of the time, a lot of the time when we're shaken in our faith, it's not because this this terrible big coercion forced us into totally rejecting our faith. 
It comes in subtly. Oftentimes in the form of question. Something that you know is, is, is that you've heard or you've read that God has revealed to you is his truth in your, in your brain. Well, but is that really true? Is that really true? Sometimes, and sometimes it's in our head. Other times it's in the conversations of people. <laughs> That's what you believe? You really believe that? It's kind of ignorant, don't you think? A little naive. You really believe that? And the device that's really subtle is humor. Kind of laugh at you a little bit. You really believe that? Kind of makes you laugh at yourself. Oh, I don't know. Is that what I believe? It sounds kind of silly. Humor is powerful. Humor is so powerful. Humor is meant to be a great thing, the way God designed so many things to be great. Have you ever been in just the worst place and someone makes you laugh? And you just lighten up, and it helps. It's so powerful, right? And sometimes we just need to lighten up. And God uses humor. It's a gift. But just like any other thing you can twist and manipulate, you can use humor to manipulate. Humor can disarm you from the very things you believe. Even if you're trying to believe it. You're angry at somebody, and this person just knows how to make you laugh. It is not fair because you're trying to be angry, but they make you laugh. You, just, you can't do that. I'm going to be angry. At you. you need to be. I need to be angry at you. But humor has a way to just disarm you, right? And your beliefs too. Again, I'm not going to answer uh, a perspective on homosexuality right now. This isn't the time to do that. But but let's. But we can agree that homosexuality in the states has evolved a lot. In the sense, how it's accepted by culture. Because it, it wasn't too long ago when, as a culture, we're very uncomfortable with it. And, like, ew, what's wrong with you? Get away from me, right? But now we've, we've, we've moved to a very different place from that. And there's still a lot that can grow in that or, or change. And even as a church, we've mistreated it in a lot, a lot of wrong ways. We've really hated people. And that's something we need to repent of. But I think one of the huge things that has brought culture to where it is today to be so much more open to this topic is humor. Humor. Particularly through media. When Will and Grace came on, and suddenly there was a gay guy who was charming, he was winsome, and he was funny. He made you laugh. And so you step back and like, this guy's pretty funny. Right? You watch movies and the bad guys, they just, they just kind of fast talk the person. You, kind of, you laugh with the person and you're like, ah, he's not so bad. Same way, like, if, you, if you can make somebody laugh, you, you, you can disarm them. And so as a society, because of this, the way that he portrayed himself as a gay guy, it, it disarms people as we laugh together with him. Humor's powerful. Today, more people watch Modern Family, but the same thing. We watch the gay couple, and, you know, you just feel like, oh, yeah, how bad can it be? Or, like, is that really wrong? You know, you ask those questions. It disarms you, disarms your faith, or what you want to believe in. Again, this, this is a huge conversation, and we're not answering the questions of it. But we're looking at the bigger concept of just our faith in general, what we try to believe in, and how humor is powerful. So Satan comes in, and using the device of humor, it kind of, God said that? Really? He actually said that? Okay. 
And so he comes in and he does that. And then verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, because um, he asked, you shall, did he say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now is that what God said? Is that what God said? Let's look at that again. God said, verse 3, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Let's look at that part. Did he say that? Yeah. He said, don't eat that tree, of that tree. Neither shall you touch it. Did he say that? No. (laughs) He didn't say that. Lest you die. He did say that. There's so much in Scripture. And if we don't know our Scripture... Satan's going to twist it on us, ask you questions, make you question what you believe. And unless you know what you really believe, unless you're in Scripture, studying it, yearning for it, longing for it, how are you going to know what's a deception and what's true? How are you going to know when your own thoughts are deceiving you? We need to know Scripture. In verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. And he ate. Now, if you look at what Satan says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Did Adam and Eve fall over dead when they ate of the fruit? If you know the story, no, they didn't. So did Satan lie? He's manipulating you. He's telling these half-truths, which are, yeah, that's, that's true. That's not really true. If Adam had asked, oh, so you're saying that if I eat of this fruit, I'll be able to continue to live in this garden forever? Then he would have said, no, that's not what I'm saying. But you're not going to die. Not instantly. But these are the sly, the crafty deceptions the little subtle nuances that if we're not, we don't really know scripture, we're going to fall for these all the time. And we're going to be shaped by these. And we don't even know. They're subtle. They're subtle. Satan's been around for a long time. He's watched people for a long time. He knows what works. He's smarter than you are. He's good at what he does. We need to know our scripture. All right. Verse 6, and this is big. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, well, let's go back to chapters 1 and, one and 2, mainly chapter 1. And what do we say God said after every day? God looked at it. He said it was good. 
He saw what he, would, he had made, and he said that it was good. He made the sky. It was good. He made the, the, the sea creatures. It was good. He made land animals. It was good. He made man. Hello? He made Adam. <laughs> Adam. And he said, it is <laughs> not good. And then he made Eve, and he finished that day. And at the end of the sixth day, he said, it's very good. Now, Eve, for the first time, it's not God who's telling us what's good. Eve decides to call the shot. Eve decides to say, I think I know what's good. Eve looked at the fruit and said, it was good for food. It was delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. For the first time, man is calling the shots. And this is Satan's deception. He's saying, if you trust God, don't you know? If you trust God, you're not going to have the most of your life. If you trust God, you're going to miss out on something. You want this fruit. God's not going to let you eat it. You need to decide to eat it. If you trust God, he's going to keep you down. You want the full experience of life? You need to call your own shots. You need to be God, not God. That's the deception. And we start to doubt God, that he's actually good, that he has the best in store for us. Isn't that what we all, whenever we choose to do something that we, we feel like, I know God wants me to do otherwise. I know that the truth is God wants otherwise. But I choose not to. What are you doing? You're deciding what's good. You're deciding what you need to do. God says one thing, but I'm going to be God. God says forgive. No, no, no. That person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. They deserve for me to hold this against them. They deserve to know how much they hurt me. That's not what God says. If you were a God, you might say that. I know I shouldn't be living my life like this, doing, doing this on the weekends or, or spending my time doing this, but I don't want to miss out on the weekend. It's going to be good. No, God says it's good. So you've decided it's good. I know this relationship is not maybe what God would want, but I love it. And it's so good. Like, how could it be any better? And there's some mistakes, there's some bad things, but who's deciding what's good? That was the deception. And what did Adam do? <laughs> he didn't just, he was supposed, they were supposed to do this together. It wasn't like Adam was far off. It says that Eve just kind of handed him the fruit. He just, she just gave some to him. So what, what, it, what it looks like is Adam was there the whole time. And he didn't say anything. He didn't say a word. He just kind of watched her do it. 
Have you ever wanted someone to sin? To justify your own sin? Have you ever waited for someone to do something first so that you could just kind of do it with them? Make you feel a little better about what you're doing? Sometimes you, you want to push the other person into the sin. You, you want to make the other person upset so that you can express your anger. You ever done that? I, I think Adam was tempted by the fruit too. But he didn't have the audacity or whatever it was to do it himself. But he sure let Eve do it. And he sure didn't choose not to. Sin. We are sinful people. And then what happens? Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so after sin enters, that's what life is all about. Sewing fig leaves. Trying to hide. Trying to hide behind hide behind wealth, make it seem like we've got things together, try to hide behind our power, try to hide behind the Bible. I'm righteous. I live a good life. We hide behind that and try to put up a front to hide what's really inside. Gossip? Now you're hiding by lifting up the other, the, what other people's faults. You're not just trying to make yourself look good, but you're bringing other people down to hide behind them. It's all about fig leaves now. Fig leaves now. We're trying to cover up all the inadequacy of ourselves. And so, I want us to see this, that we are Adam and Eve in so many ways. In so many ways. You know, like, we joke about this, and I've done this too. Like, freaking Adam and Eve. Why'd that mess up? You know? And guys are like, man, we could just be, walk around naked with everybody. Like, just all the time, and it's cool, it's normal, it's good. Freaking Adam, right? Stupid guys, right? And, and then girls like, freaking, why is it so hard to have a baby? Dang it, Eve, you know? And we, and we joke about this, but truth is, if it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been you or me. It would have been all of us. We're the same thing. We're the same thing. So there is a deception. And then death entered into the world. And we're going to go from verse 8. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of God. Now, uh, and, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? We'll pause there. Now, like, they try to hide from God. But, you know, like, you're trying to hide from God. It's, it's, it's like, God knows where you are, okay? You think you're hiding, but God, he knows where you are. Like, you think God can't see you, you know? Like, I mean, you can't hide from God, but they tried to hide from God. We try to hide from God. We run from God. We run and we hide from God. Why? Because there's things that we don't want Him to see. So many people say, I'll come to church after I get things figured out. 
We're hiding from God until we get it figured out. And once I get it figured out, once I have nothing to hide, once I don't actually need these fig leaves, I'll come to God. First of all, you can't hide from God. Second of all, you're never going to fix the fig leaves unless God's there. But Adam and Eve, nonetheless, they tried to hide from God. And then what does God do? The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? We, we don't want anything to do with God in our sin. We want to run. We want to hide. This is, if you've never known God, that's what we're doing with our whole lives. But even as a Christian, we'll do something wrong and we start to run from God. We don't think God can fix anything or we, we, we just feel like we need to hide in our shame. Can you know this today? That God's looking for you. You might try to run and hide because you made some mistakes. You, you don't understand how anybody, how God could love you. You just feel dirty. You feel like a failure. But God's coming for you. He's looking for you. He's saying, where are you? He's not doing that because he can't see you. But he's calling out to you. Where are you? Do you want to throw this down there? (laughs) Right? God's looking for you. He wants his relationship restored. He's not just a kid looking for fun, but creator of the universe. The almighty God wants you to know how much he loves you. You don't need to hide. And you might keep running. You think, where are you? Where are you? Now, we're going to skip a few verses. We're running out of time. We're going to skip here. We're going to go to verse 20. So this is after God tells what the punishment is. He gives... Okay, serpent, you're punished. Eve, pregnancy is going to be a lot harder. Adam, you're, the ground's not just, you're not just going to put an orange in it. And it's not just going to grow an orange tree all of a sudden. And you're going to have to really work to make food. And then the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Take note of verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Well, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of, from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which, from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we're reaching the conclusion. Um, and I want to see this. The tree of life. Do we understand what the tree of life is? The tree, well, he said they can't eat from the tree of life. Now when the scripture speaks of life, there is an eternal life, but there's also the fullness of life. He's not just talking about, I'll give you life and you'll just live a long time. He's saying, I'll give you life. 
you know, there's, there's a quote, there's the Braveheart quote, Some, every man dies, but not every man really lives. This is it's that concept that you, you have life, but then there's life. You can live a physical life, but you're not really living life in the abundance of life, right? And God promises that in him is life, all of it. If he is your God, that is your life. And that's what happens from eating from the tree of life. That's a result, and, and that's, the, that's a result of if you eat from the tree of life, you will know life. You'll live forever, and you know the fullness of life. But if you're a God over your own life, and you want to call the shots of what's good, then you need to create your own fullness of life. It's not just going to come from God. You need to create your own joy. You need to find your own love. You need to find your own peace. And you need to try to live as long as you can on your own. If you're God, then so be it. Then be God. But even in that state, we were created for something, right? We're not just randomness that happened. just came out of nowhere. We were created to be with God. We were created to be in fellowship with Him. We were created to enjoy from the tree of life. We are created for that. So if we're separated from it, guess what? There's still a longing for that. There's still a part of us that, that knows that it's there. We're created for it. And we know it's there, and so we long for it, and we pursue it. And apart from God, we're trying to pursue it. You know, why do we overwork ourselves? Why do we work such long hours and we say, we're going to get to the next part of life and then I'll take a break. But then you find out I'm still working too many hours and not really experiencing anything. You're, th- you're pursuing something. You're pursuing that phone. something. You think if you get a little more, okay, maybe I'll get it. But you, you get to it and, and you reach for it and it slips between your fingers. You grab on and there's nothing there. We're looking for something in the things of this world and we, we grab it and we get there we find that what we're looking for wasn't actually there. You'll find that in a person, in a relationship, love relationship you have, they're not going to fill the void, that complete void we're looking for. It's not in power, it's not in money. It's only in God. It's like, if you were to imagine drinking water, and this is supposed to quench your thirst, but what if you were drinking water and you just stayed thirsty? And that's the experience. Seeking for the fulfillment of God in this world. You're drinking this water and you're thinking, this should quench my thirst. But you're still thirsty. So that was death. That was death. But God has a plan of redemption. So we're going to look at one more verse. Rewind. Back to verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. From the beginning of our story, right when the fall happened, right when the first sin happened and we were separated from God, God built a promise. He made a promise. He made a prophetic word. There will be a day when the serpent, and this is the punishment to the serpent, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Somebody's going to come along that will defeat the serpent, crush his head, 
demolish him, get rid of the problem of this serpent. And, and you're going to like try to bite at his heel, but you're, you'll hurt him, but he's going to crush your head. There's a promise of victory right from the beginning. And this is a story that was from the beginning of time. From the beginning of when we sinned and when there was separation, God had a plan of redemption. And this is the story that we're living in. We see in Romans that Jesus is a second Adam. There was the first man, Adam, who we are under the representation of. And in his fallenness, we, we, are, we are in his fallenness. As he fell, we all fell. Jesus, as Satan, would tempt Adam and Eve. Jesus would be tempted by Satan himself as well. But when Satan tempts Jesus, he doesn't just stumble on the word. What does God say? God said, oh yeah, he, Satan twists the word of God and he tempts Jesus. And Jesus spits the word back at him and says, I know the truth. I will not be deceived. The sword of the Spirit is in my hand, which is the word of God, and I will not be deceived. He stands firm on the word. He knows the truth of God. Jesus is tempted, but he does not fall. And what was Jesus? Even from the beginning, when we first sinned, and God came looking for Adam and Eve, They were running from him. They didn't want anything to do with him. He came looking for them. Isaiah says that he was, says that Jesus was despised and rejected by men. We didn't want anything to do with Jesus. We were running from God in our own sin, in our own shame. And God sends his son to pursue us and say, my people, where are you? My people, I'm calling you back. My people, I'm here. Where are you? Thank God that he pursues us when we're running from him. We don't want anything to do with him. And it's him that pursues us. And through Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the one who, who pursues us, God in the beginning, he provided, when he kicked them out of the garden, he didn't just say go and just in anger just push them off. But there was grace. There was grace. He says, he gave them garments of skins. That's leather, right? He, 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 from an animal, he provided some clothes. There was a sacrifice, an animal that was sacrificed to show God's grace. That's what Jesus would do. The sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. Show the ultimate grace. He provided some provisions to get through this life for Adam and Eve with clothes. But we read in Revelation 20, 19, Then I heard what seemed like the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The church will be in a perfect marriage union with God again. The bride of Christ, the church, all his people, will be clothed in linen, not just garments of skins and clothed 
and linen. And it's the righteous deeds of the saints. You know, the saints do not have a lot of righteous deeds. We only have one righteous deed. It's the deed of Christ. That's the only righteousness we have. And then we confess the words of Isaiah. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So I'm going to conclude with just some practical stuff here. Can we trust God? Can we trust God? God knows what's good. You can trust him. You can either trust your way or you trust Yahweh. <laughs> Catchy. Catchy. It's either your way or Yahweh. I know it's cheesy. Don't laugh at me. It ain't easy being cheesy. Terry Crews. <laughs> but God has a great plan for you. And and it doesn't make sense to us sometimes. We think, I need to take this into my own hands. I, I, I can't wait for this. I need to rush into this career or this relationship. I need to take care of it now. I can't trust in God's timing. If I miss it now, I'm going to miss out on the opportunity of my life. When, when we, we know, no, this isn't God's timing. We know for different reasons. If I don't do these things, I'm going to miss out on something. It's, it's FOMO, fear of missing out, Right? That's what it is. But if we're so scared of missing out on things of this world, I promise you, you will miss out on the things of God. And that's what, you, and then you'll really miss out. If you have fear of missing out on anything, don't let it be this world. Don't let it be this world. But God has greater things for you. You can do it your way. You know, you can. In your way, it might make some sense. But God's way, it makes dollar bills. <laughs> All right? Cheesy, but you'll remember it. Okay? This is a story from the beginning. God has a plan of redemption. We sinned. We failed. He has a plan of redemption. In the beginning, the choice was, are you God or is God God? Today, your choice is, are you God or is God God? And in the end, that's the only thing God needs to know. Are you God? Then so be it for eternity. You do whatever you can. But if I'm your God, then you can have from this tree of life, you can be with me. Let me be your God in eternity. That's the only question there is. Who is your God? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you. That from the very first sin, from the very first, first glimpse of blemish, you didn't just send us off, but you showed grace. You showed such amazing grace. And from the very beginning, 
you had a plan to restore your people. And it wouldn't be on our own accord. It's not because we would be so desperately searching for you on our own strength. We would be doing the opposite and running from you. But you would pursue your people. And on your own blood, you would restore what you created. You created things to be good. It went bad. But you will restore your goodness again. God, we only pray that we would truly recognize your goodness and understand that your goodness is the ultimate goodness. We don't know what's good. We, what we think is good changes by what culture, what TV, what people say. We have no stance on what's good. God, only you know what's good. And so God, would we believe it? Would we confess it? And would we live it today and forever? In Jesus' name, amen.